Hello and welcome to the AB Forums podcast for Wednesday the 28th of January 2015. It's still the future. Joining me in this edition, Assistant Editor Steve Withers. I'm not in the business. I am the business. Games Editor Mark Botwright. There's some of me in you. And... <laughs> And audio reviewer Ed Selly. He can breathe okay, as long as nobody unplugs him. Right, okay, um, I guess we've got to catch up on the important things that are happening in the AV world at this moment in time. So Steve, uh, how's your pussy search going? Um, went along on, did, took their advice, went along on Friday after, uh, Friday morning, got got to see all the new cats that had just arrived, uh, and uh, bagged uh, a really cute eight-month-old kitten, um, who will be called Gizmo. <laughs> You've got to watch when you say things like, got a bagged a kitten. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we reserved. So now it's being uh, evaluated, and then they'll give it a chip, microchip it, and um, not give it a chip, but microchip it. Um, uh, give it all its injections and spay it. Uh, we also have to have our home visit so we can get vetted. <laughs> being appropriate. It's ridiculous. You don't have to do this to actually have a, a human child. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let any idiot be a parent. But apparently they're, ju- they're just the nosy. Cat. They just want to come around and have a look at your house. Uh, and then once that's all done, we can go and pick her up. So hopefully next week she'll be sorted. Uh, and what, what's, the, what's the making model? I don't, I don't know. It's um, not four leg a... drive. Yeah, yeah. It's well, actually, early, earlier on on Skype, I was I was asking, I was interrogating Steve in much the same way, and I, I was I asked what colour the cat was, and just out of sheer hi fi journo. Uh, sort of lingo practice I was about to ask Steve what finish the cat was you know, <laughs> <laughs> covered in a smart walnut veneer white with short hair <laughs> so you don't know what make and model it is then no I don't she's very cute though big golden eyes white with little black patches around her head and ears you sure it's not so- a lemur <laughs> has it got fingers Steve you've got to be careful with these things Posable thumbs <laughs> it's the next stage in cat evolution before they take over the world. So, um, yes, fingers crossed, uh, by the next podcast, we might even possibly have her. Or definitely the one after that. As well, long, as, long as you pass the house, house vet yeah. and test. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They'll let me have it when we see the dungeon and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I wonder if they'll, they'll give you, like, a kind of cat version Voigt-Kampf test. <laughs> we'll come back to that later, actually. <laughs> Okay. Before we go to hardware news, latest competitions that are running on the site. Ed, why don't why don't you tell us about them? Just let me get my uh, running order back. I was checking something else. We've got more competitions, and you can shake several sticks at. Um, as of twenty sixth, when this podcast is being recorded, to go out on the twenty eighth. That means that you'll only have one day to get your name down for the Saving Private Ryan Blu-ray, uh, where which closes a day later. Um, if you haven't already seen it, well, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, as I understand it, it's a very, very fine implementation of, of, of a good film. Um, it also closing on the same day, Man With No Name trilogy bo- uh, Blu-ray set. Uh, that's uh, all the Clint Eastwood you can handle and possibly some more. Um, to be honest, I have to admit, I've never seen any of those three films uh, and I'm barred from entering the competition. But uh, nonetheless, Steve, you were you were quite excited, you were quite enthusiastic about it. So I have no reason to doubt that uh, it, it's it's some cop. I'm on safer ground with the next two. Uh, you've got until the 5th of Feb for the Sound Magic E10s. Uh, there's three pairs of those from memory. Um, I've said it on all sorts of podcasts now. Every time we mention this competition, they are really, really good. So if you're scooting around for a pair of earphones for free, get your ass down there into that competition. Uh, we've got Yamaha's SRT 1000 soundstage for the 16th of Feb. Review is out for that reasonably soon, is it not? This 
week probably. Yes. Fine. So you'll you I mean don't don't you can you can enter now if if the fancy takes you, but you should be able to to read read our thoughts on it, and I imagine it it's probably going to be pretty damn good. And then finally, uh, with no closing date that I can see, twentieth of February, twentieth of Feb. So you've got ages on this one. Get get concentrating on the Blu-rays first. Uh, Devolo D-Lan Powerline Kit. So a uh, bit of Ethernet over mains, um, very easy way of getting uh, better web coverage if you live in a castle or a building made out of uranium or other reasons why your wireless just isn't working properly. So uh, well worth a look. OK, so that's the competitions that are running on the site. Let's move on to hardware news. Let's keep it nice and slick. Um, we're, we're bang on message at the minute. So, uh, Steve, uh, Denon AVR X5200, the review's gone up. We discussed it slightly um, last week in the podcast uh, so now you've had time to live with it um i understand you now own it i do yes yes i do own it yes i bought one uh so much that I, I, I liked it so much that i actually bought one which didn't used to be a tagline for um was it remington, remington. Or something like that? i liked remington, it so yeah, much i, I the bought company the company so much i bought it yeah um i didn't buy denon and rants the company i should point that out no we don't pay you that much <laughs> but uh, i did but it's, now the x5200 is no longer the flagship model it has to be said um there is now the x7200 did that Which, give you a moment of buyer's remorse? No, not really, because I looked through the specs and uh, and uh, it's got a little bit more amplification, but um, but but basically it's, it looks pretty much the same, to be honest. Um, it's, it's still nine channel. I haven't sort of stuck another couple of channels in there or anything like that. Um, yeah, AVR X five two hundred, absolutely superb um, receiver in my opinion. Um, first of all, as is often the case with Denon, they're always they tend to be at the forefront of new tech. I remember buying a Denon receiver years ago because it had DTS, um, DTS ES on it for those that remember it. Yeah. Um, yep. And I think I had two discs for it at the time. I think I had the Haunting, which was awful, and Gladiator, which was a lot better. Um, but uh, yeah, they're always at the, the sort of forefront of new tech, and this is no exception because they. Got to say the uh, base sweeps in in that was unbelievable. The Haunting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was some serious low end action in that movie. Pity the film uh, was, it was utter it rubbish. It was always the go to disc, though. To, uh, once you once you tuned the subs, just to check that there wasn't any rattles in the room. <laughs> I tell you, if you want a, a, a new disc to do that with uh, and a better film, I have to be said, uh, Oblivion, for when the um, one of the power stations blows up. Uh, it's on my to do list. Yeah, to it's, it's got some. Um, I remember te- re- well, watching the film while I was reviewing the uh, Datasat combo. <laughs> and I discovered new rattles I didn't know were there. At that Admit point. it, Steve, you pooed yourself. It was so sealed, so much low end, and that it was unbelievable. Um, the um, beginning, it, it must be a Tom Cruise thing, because the beginning of uh, Edge of Tomorrow, there's just a random series of thuds right at the start, which actually, um, the sub that was in at the time when I watched that hit the end stop, <laughs> which came as a bit of a surprise. Anyway, so as I said, they're always at the forefront of new tech, and this is no exception because uh, um, the X500 was one of the first receivers to include Dolby Atmos. And um, with the aid of a, a, a new um, firmware update, although it will cost you about 100 quid to get it, um, you can also add Aura 3D. So you can get all of the current immersive sound formats. Um, I'm pretty sure it won't be upgradable to DTS-X, apparently. That's the rumour anyway. Having said that, since we don't know, we know absolutely nothing about DTSX at the moment, um, you know, who knows? It's, it's not even going to be announced until March. And I have a sneaking suspicion that basically DTSX are just trying to sort of steal a bit of thunder away from Dolby by, by sort of making very, you know, vague announcements and vaporware, you know, without actually having anything to follow it up. But we'll see. 
in terms of performance, it was great. It's it's, it's a really good, solid performer. Is, um, is it as good as the Anthem Seven Ten that you just got rid of, or, or, or for for for, um, for for seven point one for for just normal surround? No, uh, the Anthem still has the edge in terms of particularly in terms of room. So basically, key. you've made a compromise here to go with the multi-channel. Yeah, because I wanted the extra, you know, the new formats. Okay, Absolutely. I just wanted to I check whether I you would have yeah. uh, replaced it with the, replaced the anthem otherwise, because the anthem is a, is a really really amazing uh, receiver. But having said that, don't get me wrong, the X five two hundred has got more amplification for one thing, and it's still a really good performer. You know, you, you get a, a really lively, well integrated sound. You know, surround sound, um, nice sound field, good front front sound stage. Um, Lovely panning and moving of effects around the room. I mean, it's a really good perform. Sounds good music. Not as good with music as the anthem. The anthem is, is I think, in a class of its own amongst receivers in terms of its musicality. But um, it's also very good with music. You know, obviously, it's got all the bells and whistles you can imagine any receiver having. It's. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the design of Denon's. I think they look nice. It's, it's not going. It's not. Uh, you know, rewriting the design. You know, and format here it's the classic avr with a big knob on either side and a display in the middle <laughs> and, a, and a drop down flap but what, what they have done which is interesting and and, and i think more our manufacturers should follow their suit here is that they have made a real effort to make their receivers this is both dan and amaranth and fairness because it's the same company to make their receivers less um daunting to particularly to sort of neophytes because they've simplified the rear connections so there's uh there's a total of eight hdmi inputs and three hdmi outputs but they've got rid of a lot of the legacy stuff that you're not going to use so there's a few in there still but it's nowhere near as um you know it's not the massive connections that you see sometimes on the backs of receivers and they've put all the speaker terminal connections um binding posts all in a straight line making them easier to get to uh, which anyone who's ever tried to wire up a receiver will know what a nightmare that can be at times. Um, it, can, it can take just about any type of connection you want to put into that into those terminals, which is good. They've simplified the uh, menu system, which also looks very attractive. Uh, and it, uh, there's a setup wizard you can follow through to help you set everything up, which again is very effective. The remote control is also simplified and easier to use. And my only complaint about the remote control is it doesn't have a backlight, but they do have a remote app, which is very good as well. And you can control it using your tablet if you want, just by putting in the um, you know the IPS address um, or the DNS DNS address. Um, and then so there's multiple ways you can control it, not just the remote control. All of which I have to say are very effective. Um, it's well designed. It's nicely made. It's good build quality. It sounds great. It's got every everything you could possibly want in terms of um, features. It's got all the new audio formats. Uh, and you could pick it up for about thirteen hundred quid on some, from some places, which is an absolute bargain, really. So uh, for me, highly recommended, no question about it. Okay, so let's move on and stay with audio. Strangely enough, no video in this uh, hardware section this month. Uh, what have you been looking at, Ed? Um, well, up on the site already is a review of the Cabas Stream One, which um, it's a funny looking thing. Uh, my wife did point out it looks on occasions a bit like a George Foreman grill, but um, it's <laughs> really you combine the two, that would be my dream. <laughs> well, uh, yes. All right. Notes to Cabas there. If you can get a hot plate into the system, brilliant. Um, but what it is, um, it's unable to make toasted sandwiches, but it can uh, operate very effectively as an all-in-one uh, streaming system, either using um, uh, you, uh, standard... Uh, streaming and material over network uh, from a NAS drive. Uh, there is Aptex Bluetooth, Spotify Connect, and um, internet radio as a result of the, the UPnP part of it. And it all works rather well, and it sounds really rather, really rather smart. Um, 
if you were looking at the name Muso and you think 800 quid is a bit a bit more than I was intending to spend, this is 300 pounds cheaper. It isn't as good, but it is extremely good for the for, for the 500 pound asking price. So um, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. And as an aside, um, something sort of useful with regards to both this and um, the. Uh, um, the Denon that Steve's just reviewed. Uh, further to the review I did last year of the Tidal streaming service, um, since we last podcasted, there's been a modification to one of the Android apps, uh, Bubble, which is a free app which you can use on any Android device. You can now select, uh, if you have a Tidal subscription, you can select Tidal as your server on Bubble and then beam it to a UPnP compatible device. So uh, if you've been sort of thinking, mm, I like some of these products, but I, you know, I'd be more interested in a bit more in- integration, so on and so forth, um, that effectively gives you a free method of getting Tidal onto these bits of equipment, which is quite handy as well. Ed, what, do you think there's an actual market there for these types of systems? I mean, at the minute I'm reviewing the um, Pure Jungle. Um, which is a wireless system, basically kind of the same thing. You know, you've got to use yeah. the app to to basically feed everything through the app. Do you think there's a market for this kind of thing? And uh, and if there is, do you think that the products here are, are aimed at the right level when it comes to the consumer? This is a very tough one to call, Phil. Um, it would appear that the right system, all-in-one sort of streamers, are doing, doing rather well. Um, going back to the name Muso, that seems to have found very, ha- uh, you know, it seems to be, going well in in various retailers um including john lewis and the like um and sonos continues to sell extremely well um i do think you have a point in so much as if you're trying to break into this market it 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 looks to be tough going there is there's undoubtedly demand for these products but it does seem to be that there are if you like there are category killers at each price point and if you're not one of those category killers, I, I honestly don't know how many of these things you sell. And from the usability point of view, this is what really surprised me because this is the first system I've looked at in probably about two years uh, when it comes to wireless speakers and using um, you know, the app- application to run most of the stuff. I mean, you can run NAS drives and stuff through it, but you've got to use the app, app, the app to do that. Yeah. I just found it so confusing. And usually I'm I'm quite up on these things, and I can usually solve solve the issue myself. I had to resort to going to the support pages to find out what what the hang was going on and why I couldn't do certain things. And for the consumer, that has to be a bore. No, absolutely. Um, it's interesting. I note in the review for the Kabas, the um, initial app that they released it with had some similar issues. It, it just wasn't that that slick. Um, Shortly after I plugged in the review sample, a new app went live, and um, there's no question at all that makes it a vastly better product to use. The, if you are pushing app control, it stands to reason that the product lives or dies on how good that app is, and then that in turn ties into to stability and speed and all the other bits and bobs. It also means that if you are trying to sell to uh, a clientele that isn't that comfortable using using control apps, you know, people same age as my parents and so forth, then um, it, it you, you really then have to, have to sort of go out of your way to explain what, why you'd bother in the first place. Um, yeah. 
I mean, it's it's going back to going back to my parents. My my dad is is another name owner, um, and he looks at the equipment that I use, which can be driven through the iPad and does all sorts of bells and whistles. And his his major question is sort of why. It, you know, as far as he's concerned, it's a case of put a CD in it and off it goes. It, it, it's just a, a mindset thing. And a lot of these all-in-one systems yeah. really are cr- going up against that mindset. Yeah, I know that, I, I, you know, you just have to look around and there are people who cannot live without their mobile device or their tablet being in their hand. And for those types of people, I can see why this type of system works because they've always got the, the smartphone or the tablet on them. So they've always got control over their music. They've always got control over the units and so on. I'm not like that. And I've found it, you know, having to go and fetch my phone or, or a tablet to control stuff, I've found it um, strange, to be honest. I guess I'm just getting old. No, I, I don't think it's too unusual. Um, and it, as I say, it really does live or die on how good that the app is. It's interesting. I mean, I um, when I reviewed the Pioneer lx87 last year i was fairly dismissive of its app the app was quite good but it was such a pain in the proverbial to get the damn thing onto a network in the first place it was more like a just sort of an interesting demonstration point since then obviously my son has developed a keen interest in pushing buttons (laughs) and i've had um a couple of products go through that two yamaha amps in particular which had got wireless built in and now, when one, the AV amp is behind a big foam panel to prevent having buttons pushed at random and volume control turned up to, oh, my God, um, I'm all of a sudden I'm more appreciative of, of the control apps. The Yamaha one, actually, it isn't significantly different to the Pioneer one. It's not significantly better, but it's just that much easier to get going. So now the natural point of control for the AV receivers in my house is, is via iPad. Um, and I, I didn't see myself doing that as, as little as a year ago. And now it's, it's, it's very important to me. And I have to say that if I've got the iPad up and running more often than not, I wind up controlling the skybox with it as well. And anybody else got this issue? I mean, Steve, you've looked at some of these systems. Is it natural for you to have your mobile in your hand all the time to control stuff or not? No, it isn't yet, but I've got to say that my experience of particularly remote apps has been that they are quite often very sophisticated and very handy. And like I said earlier about the uh, remote control that comes with the with the X5200, which hasn't got a backlight. Now, if you're in a home cinema, having using the remote app can be a lot more useful because, you know, clearly it's self-illuminating and you can see what you're doing. Um, so that's kind of useful. It, it just I'm not in the habit, unlike perhaps a younger generation, of constantly having my phone on me all the time. I mean, that's the reason why I don't use those health apps because they only really work if you've constantly got your phone in your pocket and I don't have it in the whole time. It's just sitting behind me on the, you know, on a table or something and therefore the phone thinks I'm inactive and they wouldn't be far off the mark there most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I'm always amazed at the sophistication uh, that is available in terms of controlling other devices through your smartphone or tablet. Um, and there's no question that it does make life very convenient and, you know, Clearly, it's the way of the future, isn't it? I mean, it's just going to get. There's going to be more and more um, dovetailing of those technologies yeah. in, into eventually. You know, every mobile phone will basically be a, a universal controller as long as it works. And this, this was my thing. Coming back to the pure thing, it was trying to get it to work and trying to get it to do things that I wanted to. Do. And here's the thing: you got two of these uh, T4X speakers. So basically, the the speakers that sit on their own but you can pair them up using um cask id which is a, an offshoot of bluetooth i'm not sure if you're aware of it 
uh, Ed, if it's been in any of the systems that you've looked at recently. Yeah, I, it, it's um, it's turned up on one or two things. I it, the, the the problem is, and actually I cover this in a, a, a review that's upcoming. Half the problem, Phil, is trying to work out what uh, what standard your device is connected to at, yeah. at Bluetooth. On occasions, I've had things where I've paired up an Aptex capable source a phone rather and then actually found on some in- investigation that the other device hasn't liked what it's seen <laughs> and even though it's technically aptex capable it's actually gone in at a lower a lower standard yeah. so, so it's a pig to work out what's going yeah. on so obviously this cask idea it, it, it's being developed by onkyo and meridian as well um for wireless speaker systems so you can have two wireless speakers and pair them as a stereo pair and they will be in sync so this is the idea of the whole technology which uh, told about, I thought, yeah, great, that sounds fantastic. And when you're using the app and you're using uh, Pure Connect, which is their music streaming system, um, it works extremely well. Try and do anything else with it and it falls apart. Um, and this is what annoyed me because I thought, I'll put a speaker either side of the TV, 3.5 jack into one of them, and surely the other one will pair up and it'll be a stereo pair. And um, it's a nice little AV solution as well as a music streaming solution. Nope, doesn't work. And you just think, well, who's designing these systems? Because you would think, maybe it's just because we're AV nuts and you know when the speakers need, oh, we'll wire the TV through them. Um, no, you can't do it, and they ca- it can't pair up as a stereo pair. You can have it as a mono speaker. All right, so kind kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. And you think, well, you know, they're not thinking about everything when they're designing these systems. Yes, but definitely, a lot of them will stand or fall on how easy they are to set up, and some I've had. That have been an absolute doddle to set up. I think you know, certainly uh, Samsung's wireless systems were very easy to set up, which I think is important. And the same was true of Denon's X5200. It's got built-in Wi-Fi and built-in Bluetooth, both of which were a doddle to set up. Yep. Conversely, and I know Egg can back me up on this one, there are some other manufacturers in terms of AV receivers, like Pioneer, for example, that are an absolute bitch to get to work. Uh, and, you know, that that's, you know, I think it needs to be, like everything now, people expect things to be simple, and easy and quick and intuitive. And that's basically the entire basis of Apple's you know, business model. Uh, and when things aren't, it can be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say, the first time I've ever spent time on a support page on a website trying to ask questions and get replied mm-hmm. and find the replies to the questions I had. Um, yeah. Maybe it's the way of the future. Maybe it's not designed for old codgers like us. Don't know. But uh, certainly the Pure Jungle, which is coming up for review. Um, is a nice system once you get it working. What else have we got coming up, Steve? We got to, well. I've got um, uh, BenQ's W one hundred and seven O plus W one hundred and seven O plus, which is as a refined version of one hundred and seven O we've already did, reviewed. So, so basically, coming it's up, a, basically, it's a four four year old chassis which they're sprucing up for the next yeah, two they, years. They've they given them. The mic, they, I noticed they've given the remote controller a, a, a jazzy up new um, <laughs> cab, <laughs> box to put it in. Ooh, I don't. don't it seems, I can't really tell. What the plus bit relates to yet, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Uh, Yamaha's SRT1000 Soundbase, which is obviously, as Ed's already mentioned, uh, one of the prizes currently in the competition. So that's that. I've got to say that's really good. Uh, Yamaha do do sound bases and, and soundbars really well. There's no question that that's, that's a market they've been in for some time. And, and well, you would, you would hope they would be good because they were one of the pioneers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they pretty much you know invented that marketplace. <laughs> they were doing soundbars before anyone had ever heard of them, or you know, before the whole market exploded. But uh, yeah, that, that's really good. So a great prize. Um, we've also got uh, Greg's doing Devolo D- DLAN one to, uh, 1200 power line adapter, 
He's reviewing that at the moment, and obviously we've got a Devoa Dilan um, power line adapter as, as one of the competition prizes. You just mentioned the Pure Jungle um, MQA wireless speakers. Ed, you've got a couple of things coming up. Uh, Mastelity Relay DAC and uh, Aurora Sound Hi-Face Pro DAC Plus Bus. Is that right? Yeah, it's good. Power bus. Right. Let me try, <laughs> let on, me try, and, let me try and explain this. The Mass Fidelity Relay, it might sound like something that Geordie LaForge would be working on in Star Trek, but... Um, <laughs> Actually, it's a Bluetooth DAC. Now, before you go, oh, not another one of those, read the review um, and then make some decisions for yourself. It's a genuinely clever, beautifully implemented and beautifully built little thing. Um, And if you have a product, if you have a system where you don't have built-in Bluetooth like some of the later AV receivers, just have a look at this. Um, I know that we've already looked at two different Bluetooth decks. We looked at an Arcam one and the Musical Fidelity one. Have a look at what this one does and consider it on its own merits. Now, it's interesting we've been talking about uh, user-friendliness because the Aurora sound, um, two things. One, we're only 26 days into 2015, but I can say with reasonable confidence that the Aurora is probably the ugliest product I'm going to review this year. Um, They really aren't much to look at. Um, I did my best with photography. But... And also, they are you, you. You need to have some understanding of USB drivers and other other bits and bobs to get them to do anything at all. Uh, so you have been warned. However, again, if you don't have the ability to do a high quality USB connection to your existing system, or you are looking, you're looking at a piece of equipment and you're not sure whether it's going to meet the requirements because it doesn't have USB, please do have a look at that review. It is a really, really unbelievably good quality USB system uh, which bolts onto existing amplifiers and the like. It takes up very little space. In the case of the, the just the DAC part of it, it doesn't need the power supply. The power supply is an optional extra, so it doesn't necessarily need a mains connection. And it's capable of truly outstanding performance. It just It's very specialised and it's brutally ugly. So just, again, have a look at that and see what you think. And then um, between now on the 26th, when we're recording this, and the end of the month, I've got lots of other things to shovel out Thank God at for speed. That. Yeah, don't worry. There's Save more. for next week. Save for next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think you did a, a, a really good job of selling that review, and hopefully two or three people will actually go and read it. Yeah, I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> Games is next. Right, so uh, moving on to games news, but we um, we were going to talk about this in hardware, but then there's two or three things that on the back of this uh, apply to gaming. Um, so we're going to discuss it very quickly. Um, here, Microsoft Windows 10 was announced last week. Was it last Tuesday? Last Monday or last Tuesday? Um, the wave of the future or a load of bollocks? I don't know a lot about Windows these days because I don't use it anymore. And I never understood why people buy Windows updates. I mean, if you can... If you, PC comes with Windows built in. Does anyone actually buy it? But if you do, you can get Windows 10. And the big selling point, it seems to me, from watching news coverage of it, has been the HoloLens, uh, which makes you look like Geordie LaForge, <laughs> Ed. Um, well, good. You can, buy, you can buy a mass fidelity relay and operate it through your HoloLens. Now, is it just me? Or is the have manufacturers not realised people don't want to wear 
glasses. 3D yeah. didn't f- fail Three, because people don't want to wear glasses. Fail, Google yeah. Glasses disappeared because people don't wear glasses. Do they really think people want to sit around there with a pair of glasses on so they can see things in 3D through them? I'm um, guessing not. Well, I'd, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I do think that, that the HoloLens is not the bit that I think has me interested about Windows 10. And I and I, when I say interested, I don't necessarily mean I'm rushing out to buy it, although I am interested to note that I, I think I technically fall within the category of being potentially entitled to a free update, which is interesting in so much as Microsoft taking a leaf out of Apple's, Apple's book, book there. Um, what I do think is quite interesting is the idea of the, this scaled platform across different devices. Um because at the moment, obviously, you've got Android, which makes little or no penetration into things that aren't handheld. Um, Apple still, I mean, the, the margins are blurring slightly, but it still fundamentally churns out iOS and OS X. The idea of there being a single ecosystem, I mean, obviously, Microsoft is in the business of, uh, is, is sort of beginning to remember that it does a lot of, you know, a lot of its actual income comes from supplying big solutions to big companies and the idea of a company being able to buy buy into the system and everything just operates the same way across lots of different devices i can't help but think that that's probably quite a good idea that stunned you into no i'm having a cream egg um it might <laughs> have got one of the new horrible you moaning ones? about horrible they t- horrible they tasted last week yeah I've overcome that. <laughs> yeah, they've got crystal meth in them. He doesn't care anymore. He just knows he needs more cream eggs. <laughs> uh, right, so Mark, Windows 10 and gaming, how how's it going to work? Um, well, are, are we talking the HoloLens first, or are we... Because that, obviously, is somewhere into the future and isn't necessarily going to link up with gaming, depending on how you view it. Um, though it, it, it's... Obviously, it's interesting the fact that everyone else is jumping aboard the the kind of VR bandwagon that Microsoft would go instead to augmented reality. Um, I, I'd agree with you on to some extent, Steve, that you know people just don't like the idea of kind of cumbersome headsets and the like. But I, I, I do think there's there's kind of more scope for augmented reality in the fact that you keep even in the the kind of more <sighs> total simulations, you've you've got your peripheral vision, so that obviously makes it a little bit easier and also the fact that this is kind of a local it, everything's done on board so you've got no wires coming out the back of you or anything like that you're not going to walk around in the room and suddenly find yourself grotted or something um so it, you know I, I think there's there's scope there um I, I like the idea that certainly say you can link it in with um 3d printers and and how they'll become prevalent in the in the next decade so designing simple little kits and the like. Um, but as far as a gaming use goes, uh, well, obviously there's a problem that it's it's a self-contained unit, so it's not just something that you're going to plug into a console uh, and and use the you know the console's processing power. Um, there's also a slight problem with what kind of games you can put on it. Anything like that, augmented reality. You know, we've been there before. Um, if, if you look back at how Connect was marketed to begin with, the, the initial Project Natal demo, um, it looked wonderful. It looked fantastic, but it, it's it's little things. It's it's comes back to things like tracking, things like latency, and you know a kind of a millisecond here and a millisecond there, or just not picking up a certain gesture can just absolutely break something. Um, 
but they showed off a little kind of a Minecraft type demo where you can build a little kind of you know you could be building a little model village or something like that. And I, I, I'm surprised that no one else thought. Well, perhaps you could build your own kind of models, virtual scale electrics or something, build it around the room. Ooh. But how else would you be able to spend thousands and thousands of pounds of real money on real scholastics? <laughs> that's a fair point. <laughs> I think, Mark, that, that, that's the thing, isn't it? With all this new technology, be it Connect or, or VR or HoloLens, it's only going to be successful or adopted if it's if it's adopted by the game's developers themselves. Because I think one of the things with Connect is it's never really been heavily implemented in, in any actual games. So... Well, the, the other thing was, I mean, we're coming back to 3D. That was, you know, the big saviour of 3D was going to be 3D gaming. And we experienced it at trade show after trade show after trade show, Steve. And it worked and it was good, but it, it, nobody was interested in it. Yeah, I never really understood the, the, the failure of, I always thought 3D gaming was the obvious, yeah, you know, the, one area where people would, you know, embrace it. And it, it bombed, you know, it failed, just, it was absolutely disastrous in the 3D in the gaming industry. I think the the you know you can go back to like three D films what what works best because it has to be tailored it has to be you know you have to think about things in a slightly different manner and perhaps with three D games um, I mean as a medium it, it's kind of come a long way but I think trying to ask it to evolve even further before it's really kind of perfected even kind of decent writing and and you know various other staples that are kind of accepted in things like cinema would be a little bit too much. Um, going back to, to 3D, augmented reality, virtual reality, it's still a question of can you get people who really want to utilise it? Can you get people who want to make something genuinely new on it? So it's got some kind of a unique selling point. If it's, if it's simply kind of bolted on, then it, it's not going to mean much. But with regards to um, Windows 10 and, and the gaming side of things, I thought the, the most interesting part of it was... Um, the ability to stream Xbox One games to the PC, which means you can you can install a, an Xbox app on a, on a Windows 10 machine, and you've got remote control of your Xbox One, and you can play it in a different room. And given the fact that Sony have got the the PS TV, so certainly for for large families, if someone's watching, you know, the X Factor or Downton Abbey or whatever, you can play in a different room. You know, that that's I think that's a pretty big deal. But what's what's the lag going to be like on that? Well, it, it, just over your own home network, uh, obviously it's going to vary wildly, as, as people have been finding with the PSTV. Yeah. Uh, but from the, from the, I think there was a demo, and it seemed to look, you know, from all accounts, pretty solid. But obviously, you know, these things, uh, it depends on your home setup, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, you just have to look at the TVs that we review and the guys review, and, uh, you know, just a few milliseconds can make quite a bit of difference. You know, it, you could be one frame behind um, and if you're playing online games, I'd imagine that that is a disadvantage. And if you're going to be playing in a different room over another network on top of that, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, as Ed says about the the idea of a kind of ecosystem, I think this is something that Microsoft are increasingly coming towards. And uh, another thing that came out was the idea of um, the cross-platform play would be pushed a bit more um, between Windows 10 machines uh, and Xbox One. Obviously, this is something that has been tried before in the past with kind of varying levels of success for, for online games. But certainly with, with a certain type of game, if you consider that there are, there are some titles where player count can dwindle radically, if you can tap into the, the basically Microsoft stranglehold to a certain extent on PC gaming and the huge amount of people it's got in its camp there, 
you know that that's a massive bonus for the Xbox One. I think if if they can manage to get enough games out that you know harness that huge huge player base they've already got. Okay, so Hololens Windows, are you excited about it? Do you see it being a big thing for games? Do I see it? Um, again, like with a lot of things, Microsoft have got they've got big ideas. They've shown often that they've got the kind of technological chops to to put put together a very slick looking presentation and some great kit and they've got some you know R&D departments who who show just mind blowing things but in kind of real world application I I don't think it no I don't think it'll change much sadly okay excellent so uh, is that games news yeah that's games news Hey, Steve, what's at the cinema? This week I saw two films, uh, Phil, oh, one of which you. was released this week at the cinema and one which was released the week before, but it was such a great film that I thought I'd talk about it as well. So the first one, the one that was released the week before, Whiplash, which um, is as much a clash of wills as, as it is a clash of symbols. Ka-ching. Um, and I would never have thought that I could find a movie about jazz drumming to, so utterly compelling, but it really was brilliant. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's... Um, Essentially, the story of a, of a very driven young uh, drummer who's learning uh, jazz at a, as a music school in New York, and gets into the studio band, which is a school band um, run by a character played by J.K. Simmons, who you'll remember from things like Spider Man. He was um, J. John Jameson, um, and his approach to take teaching is basically t- obviously taking a leaf out of the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. Um, it, it's very much a question of bullying and pushing people to the point where they're going to break in order to try and find the one person possibly that might be a genius. That's his uh, philosophy, basically. Um, and, and I thought the film was great on a number of levels. One, one it's, you know, it's thoroughly entertaining. It's genuinely funny at times. J.K. Simmons, the acting in it is superb, but J.K. Simmons in particular is, is utterly terrifying. But also it remains ambiguous about the characters. So um, if, you, if you watch it, you think, well, the, the character played by Miles Teller, the drummer, and, and in credit to him, he does his own drumming as well. Uh, um, you know, he's very driven to the point where he excludes any friends. He drops his girlfriend. You know, he, he just wants to be a great drummer. And therefore, you know, you kind of think that this approach will work with him. And it does. It does drive him to the point of, you know, almost madness in order to try and be the best possible drummer. And, and in the same way, the um, character of, Played by J.K. Simmons, that the teacher, he, you know, his rationale, his modus operandi, you know, you could you could question it and say that he's wrong to do that, but he's a totally uh, unapologetic about it, even to the very end of the film. That is his way of his way of working and his way of getting the best out of somebody. And you know, he thinks, you know, he keeps using the example of um, Charlie Parker, who uh, you know was playing a routine session and didn't do a very good job, and one of the guys in the session threw a symbol at him, and it was that that made him go away, practice, 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 and become the great. Um, jazz player that he eventually became you know and he said why have no one had thrown that symbol what have they just said yeah good job you know the worst point because the worst two words in the english language are good job um i i just thought it was a fantastic character piece it's really um about two literally i mean there's miles teller is in every single scene of the film there um and then the relationship between him and his teacher are the, the center point of it um it ends with a, a jazz um uh, jazz off <laughs> yeah well kind of yeah it is almost a jazz off actually uh it, it is utterly compelling it's 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 funny it's exciting it's interesting it, yeah it also and i was thinking watching it at the cinema i was thinking this would be a fantastic uh test disc when it comes out on blu-ray because you know the, the soundtrack's fantastic and there's loads of um 
obviously loads of drumming so there's a plenty of like bass in there and and uh, you know i thought this would be a really really good demo disc when it comes out um, but i thought it was a fantastic i really enjoyed it gave i'll give that a, a solid eight out of ten i've read a few reviews mm-hmm. who have different viewpoints of that is it an abusive relationship Totally, yeah, totally abusive. And, and obviously in the modern age, of everyone's lovey-dovey, touchy-feely, and no one wants to offend anybody, you say, well, you just couldn't do that. It was total bullying. The way he behaves is totally unacceptable. But as I say, it's ambiguous in the sense that he, he never, you know, even to the end of the film, that teacher says, like, this is the way I want, you know, want to get, I think I'll get results this way, and I will, you know, I might discover it. I mean, he's one of sort of, driving a thought is that by doing this he may one day and he hadn't he by his own admission he hadn't up to that point might one day find a genius you know push someone to become a genius and i can tell you one thing the words not quite my tempo uh, who'd have thought i never thought they could be so utterly terrifying but by the end of the film if you hear hearing going yeah, I saw that. not quite my tempo <laughs> i saw that clip which is, well, no, which, that's which just that clip. The, goes yeah. on through the whole film. And he suddenly just closes his fist and everyone stops playing. Goes, not <laughs> and it is really scary. <laughs> um, J.K. Simmons, I think, probably will win Best Supporting Actor at the, at the Oscars in a, in a few weeks' time because uh, he is absolutely superb in it. But credit goes to Miles Teller as well, you know, who's a young actor and he's got a difficult role. But he, I mean, he and, and, and with any film centered around musicians, you know, if, you're, if you, you you can't fake it, you know, you've got to try and make them the actual playing look as real as possible. And it certainly looks to me like he was playing drums the whole way through. I mean, I'm not a jazz drummer. Um, I'm not even a fan of jazz normally. Well, you see, I was I was going to say, you know, has this got your jazz up for the Bristol show? <laughs> well, you know, but probably my problem with jazz usually is if you go and see live jazz shows, it's four blokes playing four different songs simultaneously. This is this is <laughs> yeah, but, but, they all, but they all finish on time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Start on time and finish on time and do what they like in the middle. Um, this at least is, um, you know, they're playing written. <laughs> Jazz, you know, written jazz music. Um, so they're following an actual tune. Uh, I thought it was excellent. I, I thought the music was great. I thought it was, it was a really, really good film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I know uh, Ed's wife saw it last week and, and was equally as Yeah, well, obviously, as a music teacher, my wife has sort of taken it to uh, contain some interesting <laughs> hints and tips. <laughs> So, Start um, throwing chairs at her studio. Yeah, we'll see how we go. I think we're going to put we're going to push for some geniuses. Um, uh, but no, no, no. She she completely echoes your thoughts. She thought it was a, a really, really, really good film. Um, I look forward to visiting the cinema sometime in the next four to five years. I look, I'm going to see it on Blu-ray. I imagine. Well, I'm, so. I'm going to the cinema on Friday, but I've got a funny feeling I'm going to go and see this next film. So, what was the other film you went to see, Steve? Yeah, the, the other film is Ex Machina. Not Ex Machina, for those who can't pronounce it. Ex Machina, which is written and directed by Alex Garland, who also wrote um, Dread and wrote 28 Days Later and Sunshine. And if you're a you know, literary person, he wrote The Beach and Tesseract as well. And um, this is his first film as director. And, you know, Alex Garland's works, um, it, it's certainly the recent stuff he's been doing, things like Sunshine, for example, um, it, it, you know, he, he often takes interesting ideas um, and, and then sort of, you know, takes them to their logical conclusions. Not, this doesn't always work. I mean, I like Sunshine. There's things about it I like, but there are things about it that just are absolutely stupid. And Ex Machina is no exception in the sense that it has some really interesting ideas in it. It's brave enough to be a, a real proper science fiction film talking about genuine, you know, science fiction issues. Uh, it's, you know, it's not um, action-packed at all. It probably won't find much of a... Much of a much of an audience, I suspect, because it's probably a bit too clever for a lot of people. In all honesty, um, but I thought it was fascinating because you know what it addresses. And we were quoting from Blade Runner at the beginning of this um, podcast, and Mark mentioned the Voigt Kampf test earlier, 
that's kind of what this film is basically about. Is that it, the whole film is a Voigtkamp test. There's, there's a, it, what happens is that a, 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 a guy who works for what is effectively Google, but it's, you know, it's, it's an unnamed, they call it Bluetooth, in the, uh, not Bluetooth, sorry, Blue Book. They call it Blue Book, that's the company in the film. They're a giant internet company, and they're, and they're sort of run by and run and owned by a, a, a billionaire who's a very um, secretive and uh, isolated billionaire. And this employee wins a competition to go to his, um, his home. Um, and miles away up in sort of mountains or very isolated um, and he gets there and discovers he has to sign an NDA and discovers that he's been working on AI and he has this um, Android um, um, and he wants him to basically perform the Turing test so the Turing test is you know can it, the test is a way of Testing an artificial intelligence to the point where if you can't tell it's artificial intelligence then um, you know it, it's passed and that that's the basis of the entire film um, you've got Oscar Isaac, who plays uh, Nathan, who's the billionaire um, owner of the company who's developed this AI. And you've got Donald Gleeson, who's the son of uh, Brendan Gleeson, who's this, the um, uh, employee who goes out, who wins this competition and spends a week with him, basically testing the uh, the robot's called Ava, played by Alicia Vikander. And um, it, like I say, it's, it's full of really interesting ideas about you know, what it is that makes you human. How do you test? I mean, obviously, it doesn't quite follow the Turing test, because the Turing test, you wouldn't be able to see what you were testing. Um Whereas Ava is a rather attractive android. I mean, admittedly, she's got like see-through body parts, but you've still got knockers and a bum in her face. And I think that's about that's all you need, really. Um, <laughs> trust me on this one. Okay. Um, You're not getting that cat now. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it, it, it raises some interesting questions, and it's uh, it's intelligent and well-made. And uh, but. I will say there are some really big plot holes towards the end. I was sitting there with Laura thinking like, well, how do they do that? That doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think. So I don't think it's quite as great as, as, um, as Kaz made it out to be. I think he gave it nine out of 10. I'd say, I'd say I'd give it you know, eight. I think it's certainly uh, challenging. I think it's brave. It's, you know, it only really has three characters in it. And it takes place in a single location. So clearly relatively cheap to make. Although I've got to say the effects are superb, particularly where it comes to you know, Ava, where, you know, there are, you know, you can see through her arms and legs and the, and the things inside. It's you know, beautifully done uh, and and seamless. Very well performed. Uh, Donald Gleeson and Oscar Isaac, you know, both of whom are rising stars. And both of whom, strangely enough, are going to be in the new Star Wars movie together. Um, a great um, Alicia Vikander certainly gets uh, must get credit for playing playing the AI because you know it, even though you know it's meant to be indistinguishable from human being, you know there is a slightly something slightly off about the way she speaks and behaves, which gives you that feeling that she is uh, you know she isn't human, um, particularly in late latter parts of the film where she starts to look more and more human. And yeah, I, I think it was it was a challenging and interesting film. Um, and whilst it does have some plot holes and flaws, uh, and, and it suffers from problem of not having any likable characters, which always makes it difficult to empathise with the people involved. Um, but it's still a, still a, a fascinating and real f- hardcore sci-fi movie, which are pretty rare these days. So, uh, yeah, worth seeing, Phil, if you do to get to the cinema. Uh, so let's move on. Blu-ray's released next week, and there's three of them, Steve. Yeah, we've got Gonga, which is the new film from David Fincher, which I saw at the cinema and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a bit of a pot boiler based upon a best-selling novel by Gillian Flynn, I think, Gillian Flynn, I think it is. Um, but uh, uh, good to see a nice performance from Ben Affleck. He gets a lot of stick for someone that I quite like. Um, Rosamund Pike, Oscar-nominated, uh, is actually fantastic in it. And uh, as usual, it's got that cool, clinical, rather stylish direction from Fincher. Uh, but yeah, I did enjoy it. It's, um, it's manipulative, it's always obvious um 
but generally it is fun. Um, uh, and I think, uh, you know, if you're managed, on, like I think I said, join the review of the film. If you're managed on the rocks, don't go and see it with your missus because it might not come out so well. But otherwise it is a good laugh. So um, yeah, definitely worth picking up. Maps of the Stars is David Cronenberg's new film, which I saw on the plane to oh, back from Vegas. And very strange movie. I mean, even for Cronenberg, this is a strange film. Um, it's full of great performances, particularly from... But, but how do you uh, know they're great performances if you don't know what the hell's going on? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's basically um, a, it's set in Hollywood and it's a, a massive dig at Hollywood and, and stars. And it's, and it's full of some really, really barbed comments and some really funny bits as well. I mean, really funny. Uh, and um, Julianne Moore is fantastic in it. Um, Mia Wasikowski's in it as well. John John Cusack. It's got a great cast. It's just, it's just towards the end, it kind of really goes off the rails. And I'm thinking, like, what is going on here? Um, but uh, the, the bits of where they're taking the Mickey out of Hollywood are excellent and very funny, and you can you know you can tell that clearly Cronenberg despises Hollywood, um, which I don't think is any secret. I mean, he's made all his films in Canada or in in, the, in, um, in London. Actually, he's done a lot of films in, in London recently. But uh, yeah, he, there's some fantastically uh, funny bits about uh, and, and it's quite funny. Uh, like Carrie Fisher pops up as herself at one point, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, there's loads of name dropping and that sort of stuff. It's great. Uh, but it does go very strange towards the end. And um, did, did you see the, the the episode of QI that she was on? Yes, Carrie Fisher. Did. She did, was... did she have any idea where she was? No, <laughs> she didn't know what universe she was in. Was she back on the smack. <laughs> so I think she was probably wishing she was by the end of the show. <laughs> Sat next to Jimmy Carr for half an hour. What the hell? It was <laughs> get my agent on the phone. <laughs> yeah, it was entertaining. Um, the final one. Uh, it's another Arrow Films, isn't it? Another Arrow Films release, this one. Yep, Thief, uh, which was Michael Mann's first theatrical feature, starring um, James Calm as as a thief, as the title might suggest, um, as a you know as a, um, a safe cracker basically. And, and it's uh, I've I've actually seen Thief, and it's very good. It's very Michael Mann. You know, it's kind of that sort of thoroughly detailed study of um, um, another, you know, sort of an underworld in this case, you know, the criminal underworld, and which he's done a few times. So I'm thinking specifically of Heat here. Um, in the same way that he, you know, was very heavily researched, very realistic in many places, and has a great cast, and, and this is the same. It's, it's a very sort of slight story, really. It's about you know, a guy trying to get out of the business, really, and become legit, and being sort of dragged in for one last job. You know, so it's very cliched in that sense. But but the performances are superb. Um, he cut people with real criminals. Obviously, no longer criminals, but had done time. So it was, you know, it was there. Are lots of people on advising on it, and um, a lot of ex-coppers too, um, of which. Um, What's his name? Hang on. Dennis Freena, that's it. Yes, Dennis Freena. Yeah, he uses um, a lot of ex-coppers, including Dennis Freena, who worked with him for a long time afterwards. Um, sadly, passed away, I think, last year. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's classic Michael Mann. So it's got, you know, lots of neon, wet streets, night shots. Um, you yeah, can see him already having a fairly established style, even from his first feature film. Uh, great performance from James Kahn. And um, yeah, an interesting movie. And, and from reading the Cassidy Review, which is already up, uh, a great package from Arrow Films in terms of picture quality, sound quality and all the extras. Obviously, Michael Mann loves his grain as well, Steve. So I'd imagine that the, the transfer on this has been handled well because it is an Arrow film and um, Arrow have been doing some really splendid transfers recently. Yeah, they have. I mean, uh, they've done some fantastic work. I mean, basically Arrow and in the States, Criterion, you know, two of the best companies for re really 
doing first-class transfers, working with the directors, director of photographies, etc. Um, it looks like in the case of this film, because um, interestingly, unlike the Criterion disc, the Arrow disc includes both the theatrical cut and this is the director's cut that's just been released. And um, both are available on 1080p, but the director's cut once had a full restoration with, I think, a Michael Mann oversaw it himself and colour-timed it again. Um, so there's been some corrections and get a look that he wants. And I, I think his films, you know, anyone who's familiar with his films, I know they tend to have a bit of a, a blue push to him, a bit of a cyan look to the, a lot of his stuff. Um, and, and this is no exception. But it does give the opportunity to compare the original uh, sort of theatrical cut with this new director's cut. So that's that's nicer than they're giving you that option, which wasn't available on the Criterion disc, which I actually own myself. Um, but yeah, no, Arrow have done some great stuff recently. I've got up into quite a few of their, their really. They did with Nell and I recently last year, um, Time Bandits. Uh, you think um, and the Big Trouble in Little China, which I got, uh, Life Force, um, which is I recommend to anyone who wants to spend uh, two hours watching a woman walk around completely naked <laughs> without going and buying pornography. Uh, and uh, yeah, great. <laughs> um, really good work from Aaron. Yeah, spot on. So uh, out of those three, which one would you recommend that uh, our listeners go and purchase? Uh, depends. If you are a, a fan of Michael Mann and a, and, and a completist, I think definitely worth picking up. Thief, I think, is a fantastic package. Uh, if you're a uh, David Fincher fan, then you probably go for Gone Girl. Um, tough call, but I'd probably say Gone Girl, if you haven't seen it, it's worth picking up and, or checking out because it is, it is enjoy. It's fun. It's really good fun. It's kind of trashy, actually. It's not really highbrow at all, but uh, hey, it's fun. So to wrap up on this week's podcast, um, let's stick with the movie theme. And uh, some people sometimes ask for translations uh, in some of the phrases that we come out with, especially myself being Scottish. Um, we say things properly, whereas you English people just don't know how to speak the language. Um, for movies... Steve, you stumbled upon stuff that um, is really quite amusing when it comes to translating film titles into foreign languages. Yeah, what made me think of it was when we were talking about um, the new title, the Bond film, Spectra, because I, I was saying, well, at least that's going to be easy to you know, use as a foreign title because it doesn't require a lot of translation there. Uh, and I guess Skyfall the same. It's, it's, you know, it's not um, the meaning within the film, but it doesn't have to be translated that much into foreign languages. And having lived in Hong Kong and in, and in Tokyo, where you see Western movies and you look at the titles of those films and, and they've been completely changed. For example, in Japan, the title of Up is Old Carl and His Flying House. And uh, Dances with Wolves was, and I get this right because Laura was telling me this because she could speak Japanese, but um, in Japan it was uh, Dancer with Ouza, <laughs> was the Japanese title of Dancing with Wolves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in Japan, the, the title of Army of Darkness, the third Evil um, Dead movie, is Captain Supermarket. Uh, and this is in France. But apparently, the title of The Matrix was The Young People Who Traverse Dimensions While Wearing Sunglasses. So, there you go. <laughs> cool Runnings in France was bizarrely called Rasta Rocket for reasons I've never fully understood as well. Kind of missed out on the whole business of the Winter Olympics there, but, you know. <laughs> oh, what's this one? As good as it gets in 1997 is translated as Mr. Cat Poop in China. <laughs> I love, uh, yeah, American Hustle uh, in Japan, in, sorry, in China, it was United States Cheat Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm pleased to see that this list that we've got here has got my favourite, which is what they called um, Die Hard 2 in Denmark, which is uh, Die Hard Mega Hard. <laughs> 
I think they should have gone with that as a worldwide release, if uh, I'm honest. I, 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 well, I've always said that Die Hard 2 should have been called Die Hard 2. No, so was, it, was it Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Die Harder? It should have been Die Hard 3, Die Hardest. Surely. That was the obvious <laughs> title. <laughs> it would have saved us from many more of them, certainly. We'd have run out of superlatives. They certainly got quite creative towards the end then with Live Hard, Live Free, and, or we, we, actually Live Free or Die Hard, which was called Die Hard 4.0 in this country anyway. But uh, the most expensive of your life, <laughs> Hungary. I've got to be honest, I think I'm going to refer to Finding Nemo as Seabed General Mobilization. <laughs> that, that, that was that's because in China, there, there is no word for robot. So um, I don't know what that had to do with um, Finding Nemo, by the way, but. Oh, sorry, no, story rather. Anything to do with story um, yeah. is general mobilization. So toy general mobilization, toy story. Super people to general mobilization, the Incredibles. <laughs> Food general mobilization, Ratatouille. And machine implement people general mobilization, Wally. I mean, that's going to get you in, isn't it? You think, that sounds amazing. I must go and see that film. Well, I mean, but, uh, this, I mean, we're picking on films here, but there are certain certain ideas and concepts that do not intrinsically translate well into um into other languages what my favorite uh, a carousel a classic carousel with the horses that goes up and down if you directly translate the russian word for carousel back into english it is and i shit you not horse tornado (laughs) (laughs) and and frankly that is all my son is ever going to know them as (laughs) if i'm honest sod this carousel or merry-go-round business Boy, do you want to go on the horse tornado? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I've just found UKIP's film. See if you can work out which one it is. It, in Hungary, it was called Multinationals Go Home. <laughs> um, Team America. No. Foreign something. <laughs> no, it was I Love Huckabees. Multinationals Go Home in Hungary. It's usually the Chinese that suffer the most because because you've got a, a character-based language, it's very tricky to in, you know, integrate <laughs> Western words. And so you have to get pretty creative. When I love the way that Liar Liar was Ace Big Liar. Bruce Almighty was Ace God. Austin Powers, Ace Big Cheap Spy. <laughs> and Bill Bron Burgundy, or Anchorman, was Ace Announcer. Although I love Anchorman 2's title in Portugal, F*** the News. <laughs> And in Spain, to hell with the news. <laughs> to be honest, actually running on Twitter as we speak is UKIP film titles. Uh, we've got 10 things I hate about EU. Um, uh, where's it gone? Uh, Harold and Kumar get deported. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I deported the kids. <laughs> the fascist and the furious. <laughs> Invasion of the Job Snatchers, <laughs> a bridge to Farage. Have you seen Done what the stuff. piano is called in China? No. Wretch, let me chop off your finger. <laughs> <laughs> Their title for Once Upon a Time in the West is brilliant. Western Department of Memories. <laughs> Which kind of makes sense in the basis of the film, but even so, that's out there. <laughs> Pride and racial prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> It, guess, guess the movie from its Chinese title. I, I will marry a prostitute to save money. Pretty woman? Yes. <laughs> Shows how my mind works, doesn't it? Okay, You've well... Uh, Daily Mail. 
Sorry, I'll stop. (laughs) Probably best. And I think it's about time that we stopped as well. If you have any uh, hilarious foreign titles that actually exist for American movies, then you can add them to this podcast in the podcast forum. And uh, that's about it for this week. So all I need to do now is thank Steve Withers. I've seen things that you people wouldn't believe. Well, go on, say the whole speech. No, do you mean the whole thing? I want you to sound more like Rutger Hauer when you do it. Yeah, and, and by the way, happy birthday. He was 71 the other day. Really? He was, yeah. Perhaps I'll do, diff- do a different one then. Well, you know, we'll be here all do day. Do the one about the magazine. No, 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 no. I'll do Leon's quote. Wake up, time to die. Mark Botwright. Do you like our owl? And Ed Selly. This is testing whether I'm a replicant or a lesbian, Mr. Deckard. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Bookmark. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've got all kinds of images in my head now, Ed. <laughs> you saying that? <laughs> uh, don't forget, you can bookmark AV Forum for the latest reviews, news, and video, and you can also leave us a rating on iTunes. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Yeah.